Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I am delighted to have as my guest, Andy Cunningham. Andy's written a book on positioning, and as luck would have it, as many of you are aware, I'm just going through a rebranding and repositioning exercise, so we thought this would be a fantastic opportunity for her to put me through my paces, for me to suffer in public, and for you guys to get a sense of how to build your own message architecture. So without any further ado, Andy, welcome. Hey, Marcus, thank you. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> well, I'm really very grateful for you to do this with me, but um, also I'm really interested in uh, the value that we can deliver for the audience. So can you, first of all, give us a couple of minutes on your history, please, and your background? Sure. So uh, I've been working in and around Silicon Valley since 1983. And I came out to Silicon Valley to help Steve Jobs launch the Macintosh. So I have oh, wow. I had a wonderful experience spending several years working with him. Two of those years was when he was at Apple and I was with another agency called Regis McKenna. And that's where we launched wow. the Mac. And then Steve got fu famously fired from Apple and uh, called me up shortly thereafter to help him with his new company, which was called Next. And also I got to do the acquisition and repositioning of Pixar. So, oh, wow. I didn't know that. How fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I've been at this game a really, really long time. <laughs> and, she knows uh, her stuff. Yeah, yeah. I started off as a public relations person. That's what I did for Steve. And in fact, Marcus, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Aaron Sorkin movie that is called Steve Jobs that came out about seven years ago yeah. or so has a character in it who plays me. It's Are you the one Sorkin. running around with the clipboard? Yes, exactly. In the headset. That's uh, Oh, Sarah Wow. Sarah Snook famously. Sorry, Sarah Snook is Sarah Snook is the actress, and she became really famous when she starred in the show, the TV show Succession. So ah, right. Uh, well, I haven't watched that yet, but uh, that, so okay, that's on the list. Oh, how fascinating! Okay, and so what led you to write the book? I actually was asked by a client, um, a, a potential client, I should say. Set many years ago, like 15, 16 years ago, it, to explain how I do this positioning thing. Because mm -hmm. he was a finance guy and also didn't understand really software technology. He came from the private equity world. And he said, I just would really like to understand how you do this because it seems like it's a creative exercise and I'm not very creative. So how are we going to get through this? And uh, so I went back to my office and I reverse engineered what I what I do when I do this work, because like anybody who is good at something, you just kind of do it and yeah. you don't really understand the steps you're taking to do it. And this was the first time anyone had ever asked me. So I actually took three days to figure it out and I reverse engineered what I did. And I came up with this methodology that is not at all about creativity. It's about examining the market through a number of different lenses. And it's also about creating a, a, a document, which is what we're gonna go through with you guys today that I call a message architecture. The message architecture is a, a mosaic, it a mosaic of the identity of your company. And the, it, the mosaic contains a number of different tiles in it, like any mosaic does. And every tile in this mosaic plays a critical role in the overall picture of the mosaic and your identity, but every tile is not in and of itself the mosaic. So what we do to help people develop this mosaic of their identity is we parse it out into all these bits and pieces, which is what Marcus and I did before this, this session. 
And because he's going through this rebrand, we just decided it might be a really helpful exercise for him as well as for the audience to sort of understand what are the elements in this message architecture and how do you go about answering them? And once you've answered them all, which Marcus has very, very graciously done, you actually wind up with a with a great picture of what your company is. So that's what we're we're going to go through with you today. So can we start with some definitions then? You talk about the DNA uh, and you talk about the mother, the mechanic and the missionary. Explain what those different archetypes are or those different DNA types are. The name of my book is called Get to Aha, Discover Your Corporate DNA or Discover Your Positioning DNA and Dominate the Competition. So this was the unique thing that I brought to the table when I went back into my office that day and reverse engineered what I do. I discovered after doing a what I'll call a manual cluster analysis of all the companies I'd ever worked with before, I figured out that there, there are really just three kinds of companies at the very core of their DNA. And I, I gave them nicknames because I was writing a book, so Mother Mechanic and Missionary. But mothers are very customer-focused. They structure themselves that way. They measure success that way. They're very, very different kind of – they talk about different things in meetings. Then the second group are what I call mechanics. These are very product-focused people. They're really worried about building the next big product. They care about features. They care about constantly adding functionality to the product, and they talk about product all the time. And then, of course, there's this third kind, which is much rarer. I call these missionaries, and these are companies that are out to develop the next big thing. And just to give you a couple of examples of these mother companies, Disney is a mother company. American Express is a mother company. On the mechanic side, Microsoft and Oracle are both mechanics, very focused on their product and not so much on customers. And then missionaries are, are people like companies like Apple in the early days under Steve Jobs, Tesla under Elon Musk, Starbucks under Harold or George Schultz or Harold Schultz. What we have here is a different kinds of companies that behave very differently. And my thesis here was that if you know what you are at the core and behave consistently with that, you have a better shot at creating an authentic position for yourself in the market. Right. So one is about consolidating. One is about creating solutions to problems. And the other seems to really be about disruption and change. Yes, changing behavior. Yep, that's that's fair. And I noticed, Marcus, that you didn't answer that particular question on the on the message architecture. I would see myself mostly as a missionary and then as a mother. The product itself is incidental. People don't buy my product. They don't care about my product. They care about the outcome. And I'm on a mission, which is that sales should be the most noble act that we perform in business. And it's anything but in most cases. And we exist because of the customer, not in spite of them. They're not an inconvenience. So my mission is to train the next generation of sellers and leaders so that we don't have to put up with this ludicrous idea that we serve shareholder value. That's a symptom. That's great. I love I love that. And yes, that the whole point of business is to sell something to someone who needs it. <laughs> You'd think, but most of so many organizations have become financial instruments to be flipped. Yes, that unfortunately is true. And the more companies that, I mean, there are probably thousands of companies starting up every single day. So the, the competition in the market for these companies is very, very challenging. Absolutely. Again, if we think about the uh, context that we are moving into, 
one of my favorite questions to my clients is, well, what are you doing to prepare for what's to come? Because <laughs> if you're not thinking about that, it's going to hit you like a tsunami. And you know, if, you, if you believe the Kondratiev wave, 2024 is where the climax of the crisis kicks in, which means that we've got probably seven, eight, nine, ten years of incredible disruption. Yes. They better be ready for that. And that's and what I'm trying to do. And we're seeing that in a number of different contexts, right? We're seeing it geopolitically. We're seeing it financially. We're seeing it climate-wise. We're seeing that disruption happen in all places. So if companies aren't prepared to deal with it, they probably won't deal with it. If they don't, they're going to come unstuck. But it represents a brilliant opportunity for people to differentiate. And this is my main thesis with the sovereign sales approach, is that the bar is going to fall so low, just being a decent human being will be a differentiator. You got that right. Yes, that, that's what... I, I well, mean, Marcus, that's that's one of the things, if you understand if you're a mother, a mechanic, or a missionary, that's the first place to start with your differentiation. Because mothers behave very differently from mechanics who behave very differently from missionaries. So it's the first place to start with your differentiation. But every other element on this message architecture that we're going to go through with you is another way to differentiate yourself. So at the end of the mosaic building, you've got lots of points of differentiation. Really interesting. Okay. So... Have I covered why I exist enough? So let's talk about your purpose. Let's let's move on. So you're you're a missionary, kind of backed up by a mother. I I get that you want to change human behavior about sales and the way companies approach sales. That's awesome. Now the next big thing in your core identity, which is the first chunk of this message architecture, which by the way comes in three chunks. The first chunk is what we call your core or your north star. The second chunk is all about your positioning strategy. And the third chunk is going to deal with your emotional expression. Because as we all know, whenever we sell stuff, no matter who we're selling to, and no matter what we're selling, there's an emotional component of that sale. So we have to hit all three of these things. So starting with your core, we got, we got that you're a missionary backed up by a mother. The second question, and this has become a very important thing in today's environment, which the millennials brought us actually, is this notion of why do you exist? What is your why? If anybody has seen the Simon Sinek TED Talk called Start With yeah. Why, I highly recommend you look at it because people don't buy what you sell, they buy why you sell it. So that's what your purpose is. So what is your purpose, Marcus? My purpose is to help equip. No, let me rephrase that. My purpose is to enlist people into this mission, which is that sales should be the most noble act we perform in business bar none. I love the phrase. Our, our job is not to sell. sell. It's to facilitate the best possible decision for the customer, whether they buy from us or not. And that takes courage and it takes discipline. And it also takes a shift in thinking because the way most businesses are set up to focus on the short term, salespeople can never build the relationships that they need when the buyer is not ready to buy, when they're passively looking. So my mission is to get leadership to focus their attention on the right end of the problem and stop trying to fixate on selfish self-interest and focus on the customer and meeting them on their journey where they are and that, deliver the outcome that they need. That's great. So that's so you just jumped down to mission, which is great, which is to focus on what the customer needs in their journey, right? Uh -huh. 
That's, that's a great mission. And the way I look at mission statements are, is, is this way. It's what you do every single day, all the time in service to that purpose that you just talked about, about conscripting people into this, this idea that you have, which I think- Enlisting, conscripting, it's voluntary. Yes. <laughs> Enlisting, conscripting, however you want to talk about it. So that's, that's the third piece of this, that, that uh, there's two more pieces to this North Star element here is, is a vision. Now, a lot of companies have chosen not to do a vision statement anymore. We used to do them all the time in the 80s and the 90s. But now that purpose has become such a big deal, sometimes companies choose not to not to have this picture painted of themselves in five to 10 years. But just out of curiosity, do you have a picture painted of yourself and your company for the next five to 10 years? In five years, I plan to be on the verge of retirement. So <laughs> by then, the objective is to have created a really powerful language model, AI, um, that is effectively built on the values, my questioning architecture and approach, and the lessons that I've learned through, by then it'll be a thousand podcasts. We've just hit the 500th episode a couple of weeks back. Oh, so, congratulations. <laughs> uh, it's stunning. I mean, the, but what, what fascinates me is this is a really powerful repository. I, ha I had one chat, Ed contacted me about three weeks ago to tell me that he's now listening to, two, or he's been listening to two, three hours a day since for the last few years. He's now outselling seven other people on his team. And he's closed his two largest deals in his career. And I've never spoken to guy except wow. maybe 15, 20 minutes here or there. Um, but I've never coached him. It's just off the podcast. So this is an evergreen resource that I think is too good to waste. Once I'm dead and gone, it would be much better if other people have it as well. So I'd like it to be a an income stream for my wife and kids. But more importantly, it's part of continuing the mission. Because over the next five years, what I want to do is flood boards and senior leadership with people who share our values. I love that. So Marcus, basically the Marcus avatar is going to live long on beyond you, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've created the Bobbiverse for those sci-fi freaks out there. <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, the, the last part of this, this North Star stuff is really kind of which you may have already said, but what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? I, a lot of your listeners have probably read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is a fabulous yeah. book. And he came up with this concept called a big, hairy, audacious goal, which is a very measurable goal that is really big and just out of reach, but hopefully someday you'll reach it. And you mentioned a number of podcasts you'd like to have in five years. That could be your big, hairy, audacious goal. No, that's going to happen anyway. That's that's not a stretch for, for okay. me creating the conditions where we enlist eight companies and we take them through scale to a billion dollar revenue without turning them into hell on earth. Doing the triple, triple, double, double, double by implementing good behaviors, uh, a good culture, creating a genuine environment where people are focused on the customer. Everything is built around the customer. We partner with the right partners, because we're going to get there a lot faster if we can learn to play nicely with others. And if we see the part that we play as a component in our customer's system, then we can actually bring way more value and leverage our network, our ecosystem to help them advance. So 
what I'd really love to do is prove that thesis in practice by taking five to eight companies to a billion dollar revenue. That's great. And why do you say five to eight? Because you think that's that's a that's a stretched goal, but but doable. I think it's a big stretch goal. It is definitely doable, but it's enough to prove the thesis. So other people have to see it as right. a something aspirational. And it disproves the thesis that you have to be horrible, that you have to be fixated on the revenue and the data and the technology, because that's not what makes people buy. It's not why people come to work. So true. They buy why you do it, right? They're buying the, They're buying that greater idea. Yes, and they buy for their reasons as well. And I think we we forget that. We've made the customer a forgotten afterthought at the end of a long chain of abuse, yeah. all in the pursuit of short-term profits and returns for shareholders. For many people, it's an ego thing. But these are livelihoods. If I teach someone to sell a, a 10 or $20 million solution, the impact of them getting it wrong on the livelihoods and the lives of others is significant. When I'm in front of a CFO who's running a $150 million P&O, profit and loss, their time is worth $50,000 an hour. I better make good use of their time or else I've abused it. That's, That's how sure. seriously I want people to take sales. That's why it's the most noble thing. I love the idea that it's the most noble thing. I, mean, I think you could, do, you could do a lot with that from a marketing perspective for your own company which I think is is very cool because salespeople want to feel noble. People want to feel noble, right? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to come to work and feel that the work you do is important and meaningful? And exactly. when you see the lasting effect and other people talk about it behind your back with joy, that to me is why you come to work. The money exactly. is easy if you know how to sell. You're giving them meaning, which is a really important part of feeling good about your work. Absolutely. And you're dead for a very long time. Why would you waste your life on not living it? Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Well, it looks like you would like to move on now to the second, the second big chunk of this, which is all about your strategy. So again, we're talking about Marcus's company and what Marcus is doing here. So, and this is what we think that, that uh, all of you could do with your companies as well. So the first thing you got to understand when you're talking about your strategy is who the heck are you selling to? You're not going to sell stuff to people if you don't have the right right target market for your particular product. So I sometimes describe this as a tribe. You know, who are the tribe of companies or people that you're trying to sell something something to? So Marcus, why don't you talk a little bit about your target market? But for me, it's sellers who really believe that selling is a higher calling and they want more meaning. They want more alignment in their work and in their life because they recognize the human being cannot be separated from the role that they're in. And they want to enjoy what they do. And so typically, they're, they're quite studious. They're, they're keen to learn. They're probably invested um, in themselves and in training or coaching, whatever. And they've been through most of the, you know, uh, several of the sales methodologies. They've been trained in medic or Sandra, all that kind of stuff. But it's not working anymore or they're being asked to stretch their values and they're being asked to omit or coerce or exaggerate or bring it home or don't come home at all. And you know, they're tempted, but they don't want to look in the mirror and feel bad. And 
so many people, and this is the thing that really, really frustrates me, and it's, it galls me because it's um, a, a liberty that no manager and no leader of shareholders should ever ask, which is how cheaply are we asking our salespeople to sell their reputation and give away their word for one transaction? But to get your boss off your back for one minute. I mean, seriously, why would you do that? What you need is a new boss. You need a new yes. company. You don't need to prostitute yourself. You don't need to throw yourself under the bus. Why yeah. should you do that? That I find obscene. I totally agree. I think in order to get there, though, this is a podcast for another time, but it's it's the way we compensate salespeople has to change. Yeah. Oh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that's oh, compensation and measurement. I did a podcast earlier on today, and one of the guys was reporting back that someone got fired despite hitting quota because he didn't do enough meetings. I had a client in the same company who got fired for hitting quota and not doing enough demos. This <laughs> is a 2000 person scale up tech company that is the darling of the space. And the problem is the middle management layer. Yeah. Because middle managers are promoted from being individual contributors. They don't know how to be a manager because a manager only has two functions, hire great people and create the conditions for them to be great. So true. Yep. There's a third line, which is protect them from acts of idiocy from above, particularly yourself. And that's it. If a manager does those three things, then salespeople thrive, engineers thrive, Customer service people thrive. It, that's a manager's job. And yep, it becomes supervisors. Totally agree. We need a revamp of the entire way we look at these roles and companies. Um, oh, well, let's, yeah. move, let's, let's move through the second, the second one, which is who influences your target market? If your target market are these noble salespeople, who are the advocates for them and their evangelists? There are a growing number of people who talk about this sort of stuff. So Slingshot Edge is a lovely lot. Corporate Visions, they're, they're also talking about this. You know, being researched, well studied on the customer's context, they, you know, they're adjacent to what I do. There are also people out there, particularly in the channel and the ecosystem space. So people like Blake Williams, Justin Zimmerman, they're doing some amazing work where they're proving that by playing nicely with others and putting the customer at the heart, you can work together and create more opportunity for everybody. And the customer gets the outcome they intended without ending up buying a lot of rubbish. That makes a lot of sense. So clearly when you're selling your stuff, Marcus, Reaching those people is an important thing. That's the point of understanding who these advocates and evangelists are. Because if you don't, if you don't influence the people who influence your customers, you can't get a full-on engagement with your customers. So that's great. That's awesome. What's your special sauce? My ability to join the dots that other people can't. So I see connections where others don't, which makes me a very effective connector of people but also of concepts, ideas. And I'm always thinking, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what right. happened? I can see the narrative. I can see the red thread running through an organization's revenue function through the eyes of the customer. And in fact, 
one of the, my activities over the last couple of years through the podcast has to been to curate an ecosystem, which is called the Red Thread. And oh, so it's over 100 providers, that. over 100 providers, all of whom are top of their game. They're fantastic. For those of you listening, you'll have heard all of them. And what they're really, really good at is helping the customer get their outcome and leaving their ego at the door. And the idea is that we act like a co- uh, an old cooperative. So we go to market together, we co-sell, we co-market, we gather intelligence. And by doing that, we can act as a large consultancy without any of the politics and without having to shove them through a cookie cutter. That's great. That is really awesome. Yeah, connecting dots, seeing connections that other people don't see is is really a magical ability because it you can bring things into the equation that were never considered part of it before and it really can make all the difference. So very cool. Absolutely. Sorry, just to build on that point, the, the, the idea is that you have divergent thinking. And again, that's good. Go and look for people who disagree with you. Uh, then you have convergent thinking. And again, can you build on what each other knows because you come at it from a slightly different perspective? And then you get the synthesis. And that's the bit I love. Yes. Yes. You can get to a better outcome if you're connect, if you're bringing in other dots that people don't see. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that truly is a special sauce. How about the value proposition that your coaching organization provides to your customers? What's the single most important thing that you give to them as a value prop? I give them sovereignty. That They learn how to be sovereign as human beings and as salespeople. They so learn. Explain that. explain that, Marcus. So sovereignty yeah. as it relates to sales is a new concept. Well, sovereignty means that you show up as your authentic self. You're not trying to use some cookie cutter or some playbook. You're not slavishly, dogmatically okay. stuck to a system. So you're not indentured to anybody. And neither is your buyer. You are equals, different roles working as allies against their problem towards the better future that they envisage. Mm. Now, our job is to facilitate that, nothing more. Whether they buy from us or not is symptomatic of how safe they feel with us. And this is one of the other really important factors, which is that most sales behaviors that are enshrined in playbooks and in methodologies have been misapplied or misunderstood to the point where they create doubt, uncertainty, and resistance in the buyer's mind. So when I put my buyer under pressure, I actually trigger part of their brain that causes contempt and disgust. Oh, God. How stupid is that? And then we put salespeople out into the field and we tell them, come back with prey or don't come back at all. So that pressure turns off their clever bit, the prefrontal cortex, which is where language, logic, reason, speech, kind of important stuff. Kind of important. (laughs) The value prop there is I stop people doing stupid things and get out of their own way. Oh, that's good. But you probably don't go out there and tout I'm going to stop you from doing stupid things, right? Well, I have done. It's probably the reason why they don't buy from me sometimes. But yeah, I mean, the the motto is do less but better on purpose. Yeah, uh, that's without any reduction in quality or outcome. So the real motto is double the money, half the work. There you go. That's a great value, value proposition. 
So if we can move to the, the positioning statement. So this is kind of the core, if you will, of this entire mosaic that I talked about. It's like, mm-hmm. I call it your position of maximum opportunity. Like where's the place on the competitive landscape that you fit that no one else does? A description of your differentiated role and relevance in your peer group. So can you, do you have a positioning statement? Like what, where, where's your, your special spot on the map? I don't teach people how to sell. I teach people how to find the authentic technique that is uniquely theirs. So you create your own selling system that is aligned entirely to your values and how and who you are. And you show up as you. No artifice and therefore no threat because you're not presenting a mask. That's awesome. How do you get them to adopt that idea? It's already in them. What I have to do is I have to stop them. I have to help them unlearn. And again, I love, there are two Sufis believe that that there is a flute in Sufism called the Ney, and it's cut from a reed from the swamp. And it sounds utterly haunting and melancholic. And the theory is that it's yearning to get back to its origin. In Taoism, the belief is that you start out perfect and then you start building these walls and shields and uh, you get broken and all this kind of stuff. So there's this uh, curse, which is may you live an interesting life. Um, so you never get back to that perfection because you're just full of all this drama. What I teach people is a really simple model, how to stay out of the drama triangle and operate from the winner's triangle. Because those two simple models Describe every broken, dysfunctional, dissatisfying relationship you can or will ever have with anybody, including yourself, on three points of a triangle. And an alternative that is like giving yourself Teflon armor to stay out of any psychological gameplay, uh, any manipulation. And it forces you to stay true to who you are. It's beautiful. Well, wow, it is beautiful, but but Marcus, how do you get someone who, let's say, has has had some fail, has a lot of drama and failures in their life, to adopt the notion that they can stand in the winner's circle if they don't feel like they're a winner? That's what coaching is about. That's why yeah. people come to me because coaching is about helping them realize for themselves. Sometimes I like to start a coaching session with a question. Andy, tell me something. Am I here to listen? Am I here to ask questions or are you after quick and dirty direction because you've managed to dig yourself into a hole? Okay. Which is it? Okay. So I know what my, my, what my role is. Okay. So what have you done to get yourself here? What is it you're hoping as a result of this conversation, we're going to end up as an outcome? Okay. Right. So how do we get there? And I get them to do the work. It's not my job to do it. I might know how to do it, but that's disempowering. Every time I answer a question, I steal from my people. Okay, great. great. That's how I see it. If I answer the question without having them work it out for themselves, I've just stolen an opportunity to learn. Then you haven't been a good coach, right? <laughs> I'm being a good coach. I'm being a good manager. I'm being a good parent. Absolutely. Yeah. On that last one. Coaching and coaching are very similar things, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And selling and leading. They're all the same. Because yeah, we're dealing with the human the brain. The next thing on our little, our core thing here about your strategy is what we call your point of view, because you, as the seller of your services, Marcus, has to have a point of view that is different from your 
or at least stands out from your other coaches that are out there in the market selling against you. So what is your point of view? Is it this idea of nobility in sales? Yes, and that we we must be the buyer's ally, not their accomplice or their adversary. Accomplices serve themselves paying lip service to the customer's need. So if I'm an alcoholic and you decide to give up drinking, me encouraging you to drink, to have a drinking buddy, is being an accomplice. Well, right. I see that level of seriousness in sales where trainers and coaches enable people to carry on believing stuff instead of confronting them. No one comes to me because they want coaching. They come to me because they want a transformative experience and they want to feel like they have agency, sovereignty in their life instead of being indentured to someone else. They want to be able to look themselves in the eye when they're in the mirror and not feel bad about who they have become in order to accomplish what they want in life. So essentially, my promise is this. I will help you find in life through your sales career, whatever you want, if you're willing to put the effort in and stay within the values. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's very much also the next line on this, which is your differentiator, right? Because other, other sales coaches, not that I've done a lot of sales coaching or been in a situation like that, they, they don't see, they're trying to teach you a method, like the challenger method or the, you know, right? The problem with that is, People don't apply it when they need it. Most of training is actually measured on the basis of completion rates and retention. In terms, can they remember it? Right. Not whether they can apply it in the field for profit. Which is why people come to people like me. They don't come to me because they want training or coaching or to learn a methodology. They want their results to improve so that they can make choices in their life. Right. For them, for their families, for their businesses, to they've got aspirations, they've got hopes and fears. My job is to facilitate that. The fact that I happen to do it through selling is incidental. Because the real value is when people start then applying this in their family lives, their, when their, their children are applying it in order yeah. to neutralize the effects of bullies. So That's you're much more than a you're so much more than a sales coach, right, Marcus? You're a yeah, You're kind I, of a life coach through sales. I used to be offended by that, but now I'm flattered by it. Selling is life. It's just a microcosm of it. It is. It is life. Everything. Getting a job, you know, everything you do every day. Yep. Families. Very cool. So just to get through the next two points here, uh, key messages. So when you are when you are selling your stuff to people, we've talked about your primary position, your point of view, your value proposition. Are there two or three other points that sort of live underneath that that you want to make sure people understand about you? Ask, listen, outsell your competition. Okay. The questions you ask are so crucial. And Generally, they're bad, they're surface level, they're self-serving. If they're band-orientated, budget, authority, need, and time, there is no way a customer has ever derived a moment of value from you asking one of those questions. Your questions need to advance your customer's understanding of their problem at its cause, help them understand what solutions might be available to them and move them towards a decision that works for them now and in the future. It's not about you making quota. It's not about you making President's Club. Right, for for sure. 
That's very cool. So now with all of that kind of coming together, Marcus, do you have a tagline for your your new rebrand? I haven't quite worked it out. I was kind of asked, listen and outsell your competition because ultimately that's what you do. I mean, my, my clients routinely are ahead of the market doing less work and they've got agency in their life. So I, I, I like the ask, listen and outsell your competition, but your response was lukewarm. I think that's a great title for a book. Okay. And I think, or a speech or a blog or something, but I think your tagline is more this, I love the sovereignty and sales idea. It's pithy, it's short, it's uh, it's memorable. And it also makes people go, what does he mean by that? That sounds really intriguing. What do you think? Okay, so I need to narrow that down. What I'm very happy with that. I mean, so- sovereign sellers, when you're sovereign, you're completely in control. So your identity and your role, there's no gap. So, right. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I'm getting there. You're getting and, there. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So when when we talk about DISC, for example, the psychometric profile, you have a mask profile, the profile that you present to the world. Right. And then you have your natural style. And the problem is that if those two are not quite identical, then there's a dissonance. And as a result of that, what happens is you show up and you're not quite yourself. Right. Now the buyer's brain picks up on this because for the last quarter of a million years, nothing's changed in our brains, hardwiring. And there's no point trying to fight evolution. Uh, You're not clever enough to do it all the time. You might do it occasionally and fool someone's brain, but once they've found out, they're not going to trust you. So why don't we just enlist their brain as our ally? And that's, <laughs> that's, what, idea. that's what sovereign selling is. Okay, it's, well, I love that. How do, how do I get that in words? And how intriguing is it to say, to, to put that out there? Because people are going to want to ask you, what do you mean by that? And the notion of being sovereign in a sales situation is very empowering, right? To the seller. Yeah. And attractive to the buyer too, because you know you're not, you your seller hasn't been, conscripted, I'll use that word again, by some uh, giant corporation, right? They're really trying to help you. Absolutely. And again, as a seller, I don't really want to be pushing my buyers in any way, shape or form. Now, what, one of the things that really frustrates me is the focus on the short term. A really right. simple shift is focus all of your prospecting activity on your medium term pipeline. Companies that you'd like to make your customer in the next six to 36 months and focus on delivering value by joining them in their struggling moments on their journey when they're looking passively. And don't try and sell. Create a relationship with another human being and understand them because all human beings want to be heard, to be felt, and to be understood. And they look for what feels familiar, especially under pressure. So when they move from passive to active looking, I want to be the first thought in their mind. And the first words out of their lips are, Marcus, can you help? Right. Even more than that, Marcus, I know you can help. Please help. (laughs) I mean, why would I want to go cold? If I do that, I have a minimum of a 64 to 81% conversion rate going up to close to 100% or 100 versus 3%. If I'm a shareholder, if I'm a CFO, I would look at those numbers 
And I would think, what's the ripple effect of me making this decision of running a digital ad? If I run a digital ad and I get a 3% click-through and a 15% conversion, that's pretty good. Well, actually, it's not. It means I only generated revenue 0.0045% of the time. Yes. And the 99.9955% that didn't convert get right. thrown over to my sales team. I have to follow up 6 to 11 times for an inbound and 33 to 46 times for an outbound. So now I've created a hangover effect, which means that they're not going to do a proper job. They're going to chase anything and they'll discount and they'll buy people as customers that they shouldn't, and they'll throw those over the fence and they'll be churn risks right. before you know it. So and, why not just and, not do any of that rubbish in the first place and only focus on not attracting your non-ICP? I just <laughs> came off a call yes. to that exact effect. Do you know the difference yeah. is it's going to save them nearly £200,000 a month in advertising. Yeah, I can, could not agree with you more. When you can connect with a human being on their needs and your your solution, you can actually make a huge difference. Way, way more effective than advertising, that kind of advertising. Yeah. For sure. Systematize your referrals. So sales. I love sovereignty in sales as your tagline. So think about yeah. that. Sovereignty. Okay. So is that enough as a tagline, sovereignty in sales? I think so, because it's very intriguing. But, you know, think about it. We'll, we can talk about it later, but I think it's it's Ooh. very intriguing. I okay, think people cool. look at it and go, hmm, interesting. I overcomplicate. So, yeah, that's cool. Yes. Okay, cool. So now we're going to just do the last little bit of this, which is you, Marcus, when you are out there selling, you want to tap into an emotion that is connected with your brand, with your audience. So that's what we're going to kind of try to get at here, which is, and we're going to start with what is the personality that you want to put forth to your, to your customers, Marcus? I want them to see me as their ally, their wingman, but a bit curmudgeonly. I don't want them to get complacent ever. Uh, okay. One of our values is we're never satisfied with our own performance because there's always a way we could have done better, served better, listened better, questioned right. better. We love learning. We're, we are... Uh, hungry to learn and really to raise our level of self-awareness so that we can respond better. Those are the things that really drive my people. That's great. So you're, ve you're very much in service to your customers. I love that, that whole approach. It's so much fun. Just that them coming back with their war stories is a thrill. <laughs> that you can help them tease through that and figure out what they should learn from it, right? I we recently did a bunch of case studies. And one guy said, you just, you know, you helped me take my income from 17 to 190,000 in five years. That's life changing. That is life changing. And he was so humble. He's so nice. He's just a decent human being. Why would I want, not want to help people like that? Right. Yeah. That's awesome. It's wow. <laughs> that is wow. All right. So speaking of wow, um, if you think about what are the factual attributes about your company, Marcus, that you would like people to know and to say. So this is not personality, not the soft and squishy stuff, but the sort of factual things. So it maybe it's statistics oriented, maybe it has to do with numbers of clients or anyway, what are there any factual attributes you'd like to get out there about your company? Yes, this sounds ludicrously arrogant. The problem is that 
if I to help a client grow less than 300%, I'm really disappointed. Okay. Um, and those sorts of numbers don't really relate to most people. I tend to focus mainly on the retail customer, i.e. an individual business-to-business, high-ticket right. salesperson, because when their results then are noticed, other people will say, well, hang on a second, how the hell are you doing that? That's more plausible than me saying it. What I'm really good at is, for example, resurrecting the dead. If you've got dead deals, I love it. odds are about half of the dead deals you blew because you didn't read the room. And if they haven't already bought from someone else and you didn't do such a bad job that they'll never let you back in again, I can probably help you win 50, 60, 70, 80% of those. Wow, that is yeah. impressive. Isn't it just? But it's, well, it's not really that impressive when you yeah. stop people doing stupid stuff. Okay. True, but I like I like resurrecting the dead because that is what most salespeople just move on from, right? Once it's dead, they just move on. Well, you know, if you go to winbacks, if you if you run a winback campaign, customers that you win back not only are more likely to uh, spend as much as eighty percent more, but they refer four times as often. Well, yes. And right. who do they refer? People like themselves. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, we spend so much time looking at the wrong end of the problem. Yeah. Don't right. sell cold, sell hot. Get referred by people who are already trusted by the people you want to sell to yep. and already trust you. That way you borrow everyone's credibility and you quarter the length of the sales cycle. So I don't have to do any prospecting. I haven't done a cold call since 2004 because I systematized the referral process. That is a great thing to teach your, your customers. Isn't it just? Yeah. Very common sense, right, Marcus? It's very common sense. La- yeah, common sense and lazy. I, I, I subscribe to Carl von Klaasvitz, how he used to hire Prussian officers. High intelligence and laziness, minimum effort, minimum loss of life. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people like that out there. Very smart, but very lazy. So. Yeah, well, why not? I, I'm in favor of being effective. Yeah, effectiveness is the important thing. So speaking yeah. of that, let's get to this thing, that which is my favorite element of this entire exercise, which is what is your brand driver? Now, the way I think about brand driver is the thing that just oozes out of your brand. So you've just done a rebrand. What is oozing out of that brand? So if you think about, just to give you an example, Red Bull, for example, what oozes out of Red Bull? Extreme is what oozes out of Red Bull, right? And it's inspiring in its extremity, if you will. But that, but we're looking for what is the ooze of your company. I'm tempted to say sovereign, but I think it's a real sense of agency with purpose. Okay. Agency with purpose. That's also another great tagline, by the way, Marcus, If as long as you're considering taglines. Agency okay. with purpose is good. In fact, it's very relevant for younger people as well. So I want okay. people to feel like the work that they are doing is humane. I mean, if we're really thinking about nobility, it's doing the right thing by the other person. It's putting the other person, your community first. Right. It's working towards a higher purpose. But my higher purpose is that we teach, we make sales a noble profession. 
And to do that, we have to live it. You can't just pay lip service to it. Right. And you can't do it when people aren't looking. So how do you behave when you could take advantage, when you could scalp a customer because they just don't know? Can you admit saying something important? Well, I say, damn it, no. Absolutely not. Never. Because I, whilst I can forgive you for lying, I can't forget. Right. That's very true. You can't forget. That's absolutely true. Well, that's awesome. I love that. So now how are you going to express that in your tone of voice to people? You've got a very passionate tone in your voice throughout this podcast, which I love. I absolutely love. And it's also belief in humans, which I think is another yeah. really powerful way that you communicate. Any other ideas for the tone of voice? Like if you're going to be writing a new website, what's the tone of voice you want to express? Well, on that note, I think I see myself as a bit of a bridge. I'm not technical, but I absolutely understand technology and its power. It's an incredible use as a tool. But the next generation, their over-dependence, over-reliance and hiding behind technology will do them enormous disservice. And what I would like to do is help them bridge that gap so that they're seeing the technology as a partner, as more than a way of automating. Um, and so what I'm really excited about, and I'm so glad I've been born at this time, well, quite a long time ago, but um, <laughs> you're still and here. <laughs> yeah, it's still breathing, is that we're at this confluence. I think we're at a renaissance moment. As we go through this really difficult period, there will be a reset. Technology is such that we adapt to it. Every time there's a new technology, when phones and televisions, yeah. and the steam engine came, it was the end of the universe. And, right, yeah. and we over adapt. What I see are certain patterns. One pattern is that we tend to fight the last war trying to use the new technology. And we're preparing, like all generals for the next war, preparing for the last war. Okay. So yep. I think what we need to do is get the money layer, who are now Gen X and boomers, to recognize that they can't carry on with their selfish, extractive rental approach. What they need to do is they need to enlist these Gen Zs, these millennials who are very purpose-driven around something meaningful. And let's face it, in this context that we're in, there's an awful lot of need. There's a, people are crying out for authenticity. People Absolutely. are crying out for truth. And yes. they're not getting it from their politicians. I mean, we care more about our Wi-Fi connection than we do about our leadership. Yeah. Sad. In fact, I trust that more than I would my, my prime minister. Now, the reality is we have an opportunity to be sovereign in that marketplace by differentiating and turning up by just not being one of them. How low does the bar have to be for you right. to stand out just by being a decent human being? And I think your tone of voice already, as you've been talking through this podcast, is very authentic and also incredibly supportive, supportive of, of humanity, <laughs> which I think is a, is, a, is a really great point of view and a, a way to express yourself. I'm against entitlement and bullying. And that's what I see this system as it stands as. It's a few people blaming the people who are doing all the work, making them exceptionally wealthy while they extract large chunks of change from it. And then yeah. they wonder why it runs out. I'm a massive fan of capitalism, but I'm not a fan. And Adam Smith got there first, in fairness. 
Yes, okay. he did. <laughs> he said, don't let the mercantile classes do exactly what Jack Welch, Milton Friedman, and the markets and Wall Street have been doing for the last 50 years. It's an obscenity, and it, it's coming to a crashing close. Don't let the invisible hand control the game. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. The next thing that you need to do, and you need to do this on your own because you're going through this rebrand, but take all of these elements that we talked about today and and put them into a brief narrative. It's sort of the new about us section of your of your website. And I think that what you will have is a very unique way of describing what you're doing in an incredibly powerful and inspiring way. I love what you're doing, Marcus. It's really, it's very, very cool. And you're unique in doing it. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much because this exercise has been incredible doing it live with you. I've learned so much. I can't even begin to thank you. Uh, oh, that's so jobs You recruited well. <laughs> been fun for me too. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And for those of you who have not yet got hold of Andy's book, what's it called again? Get to Aha. <laughs> Get to Aha. And again, for those of you who are big fans of this concept, you really want to listen to Simon Bowen's stuff. Simon Bowen from Models Method does something like this in terms of creating four different models. One creates tension, another value, another one explains what they are going to get in terms of the genius you offer, and the next creates the urgency. Now, the beauty of this system is that it moves somebody from ah uh, to oh to oh, I ah. <laughs> To aha, to aha, yes. <laughs> that's what we want because that's the emotional journey the buyer has to go through to buy. That's marketing. Absolutely. That that is mark. That is marketing. We we <laughs> like to say we like to say Marcus that we prepare the market for sales. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Andy Cunningham, you have been an absolute star. How can people get a hold of you? Oh, thank you very much. So you can email me at andy at gettoaha.com. That's G-E-T, the number two, uh, aha.com. And, uh, or you can you can just uh, go onto our website, which is cunninghamcollective.com. Excellent. Get onto that website, check uh, Andy out, check out her content and definitely get the book. This exercise has been fantastic. Do you offer this as a service? Yeah, so we have many ways of, of of helping companies through this process. So we can do it in a day if you're if you're a really tiny startup and you're trying to figure this out. We can do it over the course of two days or for really big corporations. I just finished one of these. It does take about a month or so to do it because we do a lot of research. But just reach out to us and we'd be more than happy to help you figure out how to get to AHA yourself. <laughs> Excellent. Andy Cunningham, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> so this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast, having a lovely time. So if you found this useful and insightful, then please like, comment, share, subscribe. And for goodness sake, share with someone, probably your marketing people, because God knows they probably need it. And your founder and your CFO, because they'll save them a lot of money. Not attracting the wrong people costs you a huge amount of money. If you want to get a hold of me, Marcus at last-last.com. Uh, complete the selling aptitude test, uh, which the link will be in the blurb. And that gets you 30 minutes consultation with me where I will tell you what the implications are and how you can improve your sales in the next 30 days. If you want to talk to me about coaching after that, that's fine and dandy, but there's no pressure. And I don't care whether you buy from me or not. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye. <laughs>